If you have your Bibles, we'll be looking in just a few moments. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Oswald Chambers, most people have, that have heard of that name, think of a devotional book with 366 devotional readings and uh, one for each day of the year. And Oswald Chambers wrote that book entitled My Utmost for His Highest. Many of you have have probably read through that in a given year in your Christian journey. A few people will have knowledge of him as serving as a military chaplain in in World War I, and he did do just that. Uh, But very few people know more about his personal life and testimony. He must have been a man prone to severe depression because he writes in one of his books about going through several years of just not having any feelings at all, any confirmation within him that would tell him, God loves me. Uh, You know, those of us that don't face depression and some of those uh, uh, types of things in life just don't know what it's like to do that and to not have the feelings, to not feel any confirmation along the way. Oswald Chambers lived through that, and of course he lived in a day before there was medication and help that can help with those times of things. So those years where he could not get any feeling, he just had to go totally by faith. God, I don't feel it. I haven't felt it for months, for years, but I'm just going to have to go by faith. What we can find out about this man is that whatever he went through, God used all of that to shape him. And in turn, he wrote and he ministered to others in some really significant and helpful ways, probably the greatest being that very devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. He not only served as chaplain, wrote more books and articles and different things and, uh, and so on. One of his books centers around the theme, the slogan, the challenge, Let Go and Let God. I don't know if he's the originator of that slogan. I'm guessing he very possibly is the originator. But I came across that little slogan about 35 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. It's not easy to forget. You know, let go and let God. And I remember reading what he had to say about that. And how many times in my Christian journey I've kind of come back to that. And, you know, sometimes when we get pretty tense in life and pretty wound up and pretty stressful and pretty full of anxiety, that little phrase has come back to me, let go and let God. But I went on an internet search this past week to, to find out a little more about that slogan, and, and I found out now that several other authors have borrowed his slogan and have either entitled a book or an article or something with that or included it in their book or a chapter in their book. I discovered from internet you can buy a t-shirt with the slogan, or jewelry, or household plaques, or poets have used the slogan, and iTunes use it, and not surprisingly, some people have it tattooed on their skin somewhere. Maybe if I ever get a tattoo, that just might be the one. Go to YouTube, and you'll find a host of of, uh, of uh, video clips using the title. There are self-help groups and programs and all kinds of things Let go and let God. So most of you have probably read that slogan, heard of it somewhere. But for some reason it got my attention again. And as I thought about it, I realized that there are some really 
important issues we need to look at for our lives. Some advice in our lives. Several areas where it just seems to be proper advice. Let go and let God. And so for my preaching in January, I'm going to use that theme. And I'm going to pick up several things along the way that I feel that God would just tell us it's time to, to let go. It's just time to let go, to give up, and to let God. God would say, let me take over. And we want to look at one of those this very first Sunday, this very first day of a brand new year. Let go and let God. Will you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. Everywhere that I've pastored, I've made visits to the county jail, and uh, probably several dozen to the Sedgwick County Jail and in Wichita, and I've seen those on the other side of the window, on those on the other side of the bars, whatever the case may be, the other side of the steel door. And as I visited with these people, many of them by now, they all have one common thing about them. And if you were to guess that, I think you might guess it, and that is, I want out of here. That is a common thing. And they want to get out. They begin to work for that. They have either hired an attorney or they have been given one. And they work together with them. And they focus on it. And they can't wait to get out. Freedom. The day finally comes. And their freedom comes. Their independence. A whole brand new start in, in life. And they've paid society. They've paid the judge. Whatever the, the debt has been considered, they have paid it off. And they are free. Here's what is interesting. Most of those that I have visited and uh, have gotten out have stayed out. But the numbers are not good. Those that return would surprise you. They get put right back in. A few uh, re want to return. Or let me put it this way. A few just don't play it smart. And they maybe had a life of... of uh, doing offenses or whatever, and so they get caught again. But believe it or not, there are a few that they get out. They want their freedom. They get out, and they get out, and they want back in. And so they do something with the law so that they can go right back in. I suppose maybe it's a place to sit, to stay. It's food. It's security. I don't know. But that's kind of interesting me, to me. And all of us at one time were offenders and unforgiven sinners before God. We were under his wrath. We were in darkness. Maybe it took us a while for us to realize that, but we were, and we were in prison to our sinfulness. We were shackled, and sin had its way with us. Then we experienced this thing called grace. And God's unconditional love, mercy, and forgiveness came upon us in and we really realized what it was, and we experienced this inner freedom of our spirit and, and soul like we've never had before in life. And we, like the songwriter John Newton, down in our spirit, our testimony was, this is amazing. 
grace. But then some of us discovered that in time, that sense of freedom escaped us. How can grace get away from us? How can that sense of grace get away from us? How can it slip away? How can we who were in bondage then experience grace, then later seem to lose that sense of grace? Probably all of us, if we've been on the Christian journey, can testify to, yes, there have been those periods. That sense of grace seemed to have slipped away. It's a little bit like being in jail, one who's been in jail, and they cannot wait for their day of release and freedom. That day came, they enjoyed it, but in time they wind up right back in the jail cell they couldn't wait to escape from. Well, let's go to our scripture verses. They are so key to helping us with this very important issue that we're looking at today. How do you keep grace alive in your life? How do you keep that, that spirit of freedom alive down in your soul? How does it happen? How do you go at life so that a sense of grace is always with you? How do you live in freedom? You need to remember that when God's grace has set you free in your life, it's like there has been a transference that has taken place, a transfer. You know what a transfer is? It means that you pick something up and you move it from one place to another. You know that trucking companies advertise with that whole thing in line? We're the transfer company. And what do they do? They transfer your belongings, whatever it is, from one place to another. Grace is transference. It's that thing. There are financial companies that transfer your, your holdings, your financial investments, your money, and they transfer it. They move it from one place to another, and it's all done for you. And so it is that grace is a real transfer taking place in your life. Our verses here and uh, the very specific words that, that, that we are looking at are actually words that were used to describe a conquering king or emperor. He's gone into the land. He has conquered the entire land, and he has brought back whole cities to his land. Everything, the people, their ownings. They have been taken from one place. They've been taken to another. So a king has transferred everything about you to a new place. That is grace, isn't it? Exactly. God comes into our lives and he transfers us, everything about us, into his kingdom. It's a transference. And so we want to look at that today. What all are these things that we're looking at? What does it mean to be transferred? Well, let's look at some things. Number one, it is a transference from darkness to light. Paul writes, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We got to go and spend a couple of nights at our daughter's house this past week and down in Bartlesville, Joni and Chandler. And, and um, Chandler's one of these guys that likes to save money. You know where a light's supposed to have four light bulbs? Not a lot of light bulbs in it. And he likes the the windows all kind of shut and uh, he doesn't not like night lights I guess four watt bulbs during the night can add up to a lot of money during the year 
And so we partied, you know, late at night, and I drank too late at night. You know, my kind of brew, the Coca-Cola stuff. And so one night I had to get up in the middle of the night to take care of an issue. I got up, and it is pitch black in that house. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where the walls are at. I don't know what I'm going to stumble into. And I've got to get out of my bedroom, and I've got to find my way down the hallway, and I've got to find the restroom and quietly close the door so I don't wake people up and turn on a light. And I tell you what, it was one chore to do that. Why don't you guys buy a nightlight? That's going to be their next year Christmas present. (laughs) But you see, before grace, before getting it right with God, we stumble in the darkness of sin, don't we? I humored you, but that is sin, isn't it? Sin is dominion of darkness. And I wanted to so much turn on a light in the dark, and we do that in the dark when when it is dark. And sin does that. It darkens our lives. But until we can really know how to come to Christ, we can't seem to find the answer. We grope along. We're lost. So what is grace? Well, for one thing, grace is a transference from darkness to light. It feels so good to know where you're going, doesn't it? Not only in the real world of darkness, but also in the world spiritually. When the light comes on, when the switch turns on, that is grace. Do you experience that right now in your life? Is there a light on? Or is it dark? Second thing we look at is grace is a transference from slavery to freedom. Paul writes, For he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now this word brought is also an interesting word. It's a very important word. We need to think of this word brought in this this way. The wagon trains that came out west in the 1800s, one of the most important items you wanted to bring with you was the family stove. The family stove was meant everything. You had to cook with it. You heated with it. You, uh, it, was, it was one of those important items. And so as you moved west, you, put the, you got somebody to help you. You lifted that heavy stove. You put it into the wagon. You secured it with whatever they used in that day. You traveled over 2,000 miles to the west coast, Oregon, California, Washington. You unloaded it. When you got the new home built and whatever, you put the stove in the house. What part did that stove play in that transfer? Nothing. Didn't do a single thing. You see, nothing except to say, okay, we're moving. I'm in it. I'm with you. Go ahead. And you see, all the rest was done for that stove. And so Paul is trying to get that idea across here when he says, He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. God does it for us. That's grace. It's the exact meaning. Jesus did all the work. He transferred us to God. He brought us to God. There's not even a hint here that we had to do anything in the process. Grace comes when we trust God to do the part and bring us, brought us 
to his, to his place. And so when we let go and we let God, for us today it has this meaning of trusting God to do it fully for us in our lives. And if you're the kind of person that when somebody gives you a gift and you say, oh, no, 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 I, I don't deserve that. I, I can't possibly take this gift from you. If you're that kind of person, you're probably going to have a hard time accepting grace. You're going to say, i I, I got to work for this. i got to earn this. I've got to do something. But you see, it doesn't work that way. And our message today from God is, from His Scripture is, let go and let God is you just simply accept the grace and love Him in return for it. The third thing we look at here is a transference from condemnation to forgiveness. Paul again writes that He is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now here's what's interesting. In order to be forgiven, you have to be guilty. If you're not guilty, there's no need for forgiveness, right? And so, in order to experience grace, we must come to see ourselves as guilty of sin before God. 1 John 1.8 reads, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's Spirit, you see, works on us when we are sinners. God says, I'm going to do this. The Holy Spirit, that's His role. He, he convinces us. He attempts us to, to get all of us to recognize that we are sinners, to come to realize our guilt. He has to do that. And we need that. And we need to feel the guilt. But God does that for a purpose. He, he brings you to that point because He wants you to, to come to an answer. It's kind of like a toothache. Toothaches don't feel good, but if you didn't have a toothache, a lot of people would be missing teeth. Toothache says, ow, I don't like this. I need help. You see the dentist. The dentist takes care of it. And so it gets your attention, and, and uh, otherwise you would eventually lose your tooth. And so God gets you to recognize your sin, to sense your sin, to feel your guilt, why is that? Well, because He loves you. He has an answer. He doesn't want to lose you. God weeps over you. God longs for you to come back. God is the prodigal son's father. And He wants to bring you to forgiveness and redemption. And so let's look at those two words. What is, what is redemption? Redemption is a word. It was a word used for Delivering a slave from captivity by paying off the ransom note for that slave. Here is grace then. Here is what it is like to experience grace. The Spirit of God has come and shown you and convinced you of the sin in your life. You recognize and you feel it and you know it and it's there. You stand there before the judge guilty before God. But here is grace. You come to see in your spirit this one called Jesus. He comes along beside you and he pays the price for you to get you off of the slave block. Jesus paid the price and he brings you to God. He transfers you to God into his kingdom. And that's redemption. That's 
release. Forgiveness, let's look at that. Forgiveness is very simple. Here's what it means. It means a sending away into God's sea of forgetfulness. Forgiveness. To be remembered no more by God. For God to say, I'm not going to bring up the charges. Accounted for. Paid for. Forgiven. You know, the prodigal son coming home to his father, you know the story. Let me ask you a question. Did the prodigal father say, ah, let's, let's look at the list of all the things you've been doing and you've done. I want to remind you of all that stuff. Did he look at any type of list like that? No, he didn't. What did the prodigal father do? He said, you're home. Your mind. I remember those things no more. I love you. That's grace. In life, that God rejoices over us. And so to let go and let God is to just simply let it happen. To ask for grace, to believe in grace, to live in grace. And if we don't let God intervene, and experience His grace, then you know what? We continue on in fear of judgment and condemnation. And that happens when we keep trying to work for it, doesn't it? Grace sets us free. We continue in our sin and we continue in a state of helplessness when, when we don't accept grace and believe in it. I choose grace. Don't you? I choose to... Let go and let God do these wonderful things for me to transfer me in all these ways. Do you like to look at Christmas lights? Anybody drive around? Don't, don't be ashamed looking at Christmas lights. Okay. I know as, you know, when we were young, we were kids. Every year, almost Thanksgiving night, it seems like, we would look at Christmas lights. People had them up. And I know as a kid when, when uh, the rich part of Wichita was that area called Vicarage up there east of Rock Road and north of Kellogg, we'd drive up through all that area and see the big lights. And now you can go to a lot of places and see a lot of lights. And, and it's fun to do. Well, we went to see some Christmas lights the other night in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And um, my son-in-law... He, he says, Mr. Schellenberger, he, he still calls me Mr. Schellenberger. They've been married seven months, and you know you're saying, why don't you be nice and tell him to call you John or Father? I kind of like this. <laughs> you know, I got him right where I want him to be, Mr. Schellenberger. So anyway, Bartlesville is a town of about 40,000, I guess, and he's probably thinking, you know, Wichita's probably got some amazing display of lights, but he said, Mr. Schellenberger, we were driving back from Tulsa, and it was dark, and he said, uh, we can look at some lights in Bartlesville, and I said, that, that's fine. And uh, so we went down this residential area, kind of on the southwest corner of town, and he's kind of sarcastically telling me, you know, well, we'll look at these lights, but I think he's saying, thinking this isn't going to impress you that much because you've probably seen something really 
big. But we get to this home, and he says, well, here it is, you know, like, it's about all we can offer here in Bartlesville. And uh, anyway, we drove up to this house, and at first sight, there was really nothing more spectacular than anything I've seen. Just a normal home with lights out in front. But we drive up in front of the house, and Tim and Joy have maybe seen this, I don't know. And you stop, and there's a little sign out in front. It says, turn your radio to 106.7. Have you seen that house or heard about it? Okay. So we do. He turned on the radio station, and the radio station explains you are looking at over 17,000 lights and explains a little bit more about it and how four songs will play. It kind of goes through a cycle and, uh, and so on. Well, anyway, in this yard... There, of course, are lights that are bordering the gable and the roof line and the, the, you know, the windows, everything in this house. This isn't exactly the one, but similar to that. There's icicle lights coming down from the roof. There's a couple of trees that are kind of Christmas tree looking. There's uh, uh, lights are all across the bushes in the front. There's a nativity scene that lights up. There's angels. There's a star up on the chimney. And then in the front of the yard, there's these four arches. They're about... 10 feet apart, and they go up about 6 feet, and, and uh, so about 40, maybe 50, 60 feet across the front yard. It's kind of like the golden arches going four times, and they're white lights. Well, here's, here's the thing. The radio plays music, and uh, there's four songs played. It cycles through four songs. Um, Have a Merry Christmas, I think. Carol of the Bells. The Music Box Dancer, which I don't know was really a Christmas song. And then Amazing Grace. And uh, I think Mannheim Steamroller was kind of the music it was all played to. But the music began to play. And this was so neat because everything is, is, uh, you know, kind of syncopated. Is that what it's called, syncopated lighting? Synchronized. Synchronized, there you go. So the music plays, and here's these lights doing all kinds of things, you know. And uh, it, it is just cool. It is so fun. But i got to tell you something. It came to amazing grace. And I've never had a spiritual encounter at a Christmas light display. I never have. I mean, I love it. It's fun. Even nativity scenes and all that, it's always, it's kind of like, oh, that's beautiful and all. But I tell you what, amazing grace was played. And those lights just danced. Those arches went wild. The light flashed across four times. The lights went on the house and they dimmed and they came back on. And all over the place, that was the most dazzling song of all four. And I thought, wow, that is neat. And you know how fitting, because isn't that what, Christmas is all about amazing grace. Everything in that song gave the feel of what grace is really all about. 
And you know what? Grace during that song kind of just washed over me in a fresh new way. And it was kind of like God saying to me, John, you need to celebrate grace. You need to live in my grace. You need to experience my grace. You need to have fun with it because it is. Let it wash over you. As I go into a brand new year, I need a fresh sense of God's grace. Don't you? I need that. I need to rejoice in it. I need to celebrate in it. I need to be encouraged and strengthened by it. And I think this very first day, this very first Sunday of a new year, we all need that. Lord, I just need grace to wash over my being. Maybe you need a fresh sense of God's grace this morning. Maybe you need to just right where you're at right now, believe that in your heart and accept it and ask for it. Maybe this morning you need to ask for it at a place of prayer, at an altar, and let God's grace do that for you. Will you bow your heads? Father, grace really is amazing. When we stop to think about it, when we let your spirit minister to our spirit, it really is amazing. And as we walk this Christian journey, all of us who have experienced grace realize that as we begin a new year, that's what we need to begin with. Help us, Father, to celebrate it, to dance in it, to let grace just dazzle our hearts. Lord, if there is one or two or three here this morning that need to experience grace, maybe for the first time, or maybe they've wandered away from you and they want to experience it again, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now. May they ask for it. May they pray for it. May they experience that transference, Lord, from one kingdom to the other. May they believe you to do that for them. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to open the altar up right now. Is there anybody that would like to come to a place of prayer this morning? First day of a, of a new year. Just experience grace. Would there be anybody here this morning that would need that, that would say, God, I want that today? Would you come to a place of prayer? You're with friends this morning, people who love you and care for you. If you're ready to make that decision, this is the time. Amen. Let's stand together.